we have the honor and the privilege for Mr. John Joyce to come on up here and uh, share the Word of God with us. Thank you, John, for being willing to fill in while Tim is out of town, and uh, we look forward to what the Lord has to say through you. Would you help me in welcoming him this morning? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, let's just pray. Lord, we just pray that you would be our teacher now as we think about different parts of your word, as we think about our life experiences. We pray that you'll speak to us. We pray that you'll mold us into the image of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that wonderful worship time. That, that wonderful. Sometimes we get discouraged. Is this too loud? Okay. Sometimes we get discouraged in life when it comes out that well-known Christians are not actually who we thought they were. Their private persona does not match their public image. It eventually comes out that they were living a double life, and we get discouraged at the age-old problem of hypocrisy and those that we trusted the most. When we discuss the news of the day, it usually goes like this. Did you hear what came out about so-and-so? And we say, I don't know how he could have that image in public and yet do that privately. And, of course, when we say that, we're thinking to ourselves, I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I couldn't hold it together when I've got this thing going on over here on the side. That, I just, that's, that's over the top. And it might be true that right now you and I would not be capable of such hypocrisy. But what if my heart changes? What if your heart changes? What if you move away from this close love relationship that you have with Jesus? Maybe we are capable of doing such things. I mean, think about David. David, the, David in the Old Testament. He started off really well, right? He took care of his responsibilities. He killed Goliath. He was many, many victories for God's people. And seemingly at the top of his game, he committed adultery, and then he covered it up. And then he plotted even more to cover it up. And when he couldn't cover it up, he figured out another way to cover it up. He ultimately killed, had an innocent man killed, Uriah. He ultimately, if Uriah's parents were alive, think of their broken heart at the death of their son. Think of their reaction when God pronounces that, yes, David, I will forgive you. And Uriah's parents are saying, say what? You're, gonna, you're just going to forgive him? Deep stuff. 
And on top of all this, think, consider the fact that David carried this on for probably about a year. Best guess. He did not fess up to his own sin. He never acknowledged it. God had to send Nathan to confront him with his own sin. And do you remember the self-righteous way that David talked when, when Nathan presented the story? And David, oh, the man that did this should be killed or something like that. And Nathan said, it's you, buddy. It's you. Whatever we read into that story of David, you have to admit that his earlier trust in God that he showed in so many ways, beautiful ways, he moved away from it. For about a year. And in doing that, he hurt how many people? He hurt himself, but he hurt the people that he cared about. I mean, he even used Joab, the general. Think about it. Joab had to carry out these orders. Why would a Christian do something that would hurt everybody that loves him? I mean, apparently people do it all the time. Why do they do it? I'm not sure I have the reason, but I, I think often it has to do with an unchecked appetite. Would you agree? Consider Esau. Esau, how he gave away his birthright for a bowl of stew. In the Middle East, back in the day, a birthright was a really big deal. And you know the story of Jacob and Esau. I'll just read this part of the story. Genesis 25, 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please, let me have a swallow of that red stuff over there, for I am famished. And Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Boy, Jacob, he was a trip, wasn't he? And Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright? And so he, he did it, and, and then Jacob gave him bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Think about this, folks. The trajectory of Esau's life was changed pretty much for the rest of his life because of a bowl of stew. My question for you today, what's your bowl of stew? 
Esau threw away a lot of what he could have had for a bowl of stew. Insanity. Hebrews 2.1 For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. When you live as long as I have lived, you realize that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone goes his own way. That's not just talking about unsaved people. That's talking about believers as well. We as Jesus' sheep, we need to stay with our shepherd and never think that we are better than anyone else. In fact, I'm going to suggest today, like it or not, most of us are on our best behavior Sunday mornings, whereas things may be a little bit different at home, or they might be a little different at work. If we're really honest, I mean, who's interested in that? For most of us, there is a gap between our public image and our private behavior. And in this message, we're going to refer to that difference as the gap. Most of us have a gap between our public image and how we really live. And for most of us, some of that gap is okay. But the danger is when the gap grows. Jesus called out the gap in the religious leaders of his day. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy. Jesus addressed the same theme with his disciples in Luke 12, 1. We've been through that recently in Pastor Tim's teaching. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there's nothing... Take this in. Just, Just take it. There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Yikes. When I look at a passage like this, my only stance before God has to be, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's only by grace that I stand. As believers, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. We need the grace of God every day. It's only by grace that any of us are forgiven. All of us have a gap gap, or gaps in our behavior. Paul, who was a fearless servant of Christ, was afraid of one thing. He was afraid of his gap. 
1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was deathly afraid of himself. That tendency to drift away. He was deathly afraid that he would not finish his race well. Matthew 5, 3 to 4, Jesus refers to a similar thing here. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These types of things are so hard for people like us who are brought up in a country where we have this fantastic military ability and we have all of the things that are amazing things that are here in this country. These words are hard for us to even relate with. But let's think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do we mourn over our sinfulness? Are we broken over the fact that we actually are broken? The Jesus follower senses his desperate need for God is the one who is blessed. We do not have it all figured out. We are literally no better than anybody else in the community. We need Christ and his mercy every day of our life. No matter how much we think we know. God has given us a free gift and we, that we do not deserve, like we just sang about. But do we think about what we sing? When we sing those songs, do we really... I don't deserve it. Still, He chases after me. His love is unrelentless. It's, it's, it's... But do we believe that about ourselves he's given us a free gift that we don't deserve he's loved us anyway he loves you and me in spite of our gaps if you still think you're better than somebody let me just give you a test here this morning. That's just an exam, okay, pop quiz. As a believer, have you ever been irresponsible with God's grace and blessing? I have. The fellow speaking to you has done it numerous times. If we're honest, we all have had times where we've been irresponsible with God's blessing. We have confessed a sin to God only to turn around and do the same exact sin again. And then even repeat. And we've all asked that question. If you've been a believer for a while, you've asked that question at some point. Lord, how many times... Can I expect you to forgive me for the same exact sin? 
One author has written, I've broke, quote, I've broken more promises to God than most people make in a lifetime. If God's grace had a limit, I feel confident I would have used up my allotment a long time ago. Boy, I relate with that. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. There are two types of sinners in the world. I would suggest this. I think a fellow named Philip Yancey said this. Two types of sinners in the world, honest ones and dishonest ones. <laughs> I, I love that. We are all fundamentally broken. One of the greatest encouragements that I've had recently in my life is when I was sharing with a brother, and I just looked at my brother and I said, Blank. I think I'm just fundamentally broken. And he just laughed. And he said, ain't we all? How loved do you think I felt in that moment where I'm confessing how far short I fall? And for my brother to say to me, to laugh, and say, ain't we all? Luke 5, 31 and 32. Jesus said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. His words, not mine. I've not come to call righteous men, but sinners to repentance. Are you sick? Is your behavior sometimes just sick, if we're honest? Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. That's cool. Another author has written, regardless, and I really want everybody to just let this quote sink in. This is so beautiful. Regardless of what you've done, Regardless of how far you've strayed, regardless of how you feel, grace awaits you. Grace greater than all your sin. We all have a gap between our public persona and our private behavior. The wider the gap, the more unhealthy we become. So, if that's true, How do we narrow the gap? How do we reduce the gaps in our lives? I've got three things. Number one, present yourself to God every day. This is basic, but we still need it. Romans 12.1 I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice notice he could have said by the sovereignty of God I mean Paul in the context has just been talking saying a lot about the sovereignty of God he could have mentioned the power of God he could have mentioned the greatness of God all those things are true but Paul writes the mercies of God I would suggest we focus on that 
This is not a one-time deal. It's a daily sacrifice. I wake up in the morning and I say to God, here I am. Here my eyes are yours. Here my ears, they're yours. Here's my tongue. Here are my hands. Here are my feet. They're yours, Lord. I present them to you. And then take at least five minutes. This is going to sound funny. Take at least five minutes at some point to remind yourself of just one verse of Scripture. It's not the amount of time or the quantity of the Scriptures that's important. But we need to remind ourselves of at least one verse from the Word. For me, it's usually something I've memorized. But I find if I will focus on just one verse, it, it changes how I act throughout the day. <clears throat> Another illustration. You would never dream of stepping out of your house without getting dressed first, right? I mean, some days when I'm walking in the neighborhood, I sort of look down and say, did I really put my jogging outfit on? You know, I mean, some of you older folks can relate with that. But, uh, yeah, it happens. But generally speaking, I don't get out of the house without putting my clothes on first. Well, Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like you put those clothes on. You take that time, you put your clothes on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day. We need to remind ourselves we're in a love relationship with Christ. And it started because of His mercy. And it continues because of His mercy and His kindness. It's a relationship, not rules. It's a relationship with God. You are loved and accepted even if you fail. You will never be thrown away by God. Grace is undeserved favor. You don't deserve it. That's what makes it grace. And that's what you and I should relish in. He loved you at your worst, and He loves you even if your worst happens to be today. The Apostle John lived three years with Christ, saw Him, was with Him, saw Him die, saw Him rise from the dead, or realized he rose from the dead. And in his little epistle, he wrote those amazing words, God is love. God is love. So number one, present yourself to God every day. Realize you stand only by grace. Second suggestion, Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. I don't know how many times I shared this verse with my kids when they were growing up. Watch your heart. In our new cars today, we have, it's called a check engine light, right? 
If the check engine light comes on in your car, it's a real good idea to get that thing checked out. Common sense, right? Well, I would suggest that your heart also has a check engine light. And I've listed here on the thing for you six of them. These are just the six that in, in my experience in life and talking with people, these are the biggies that seem to just crop up. Lust. There's six key indicators that the gap in your life is getting out of hand. Lust. Guilt. Greed. Anger. Jealousy. And I, I know some of you want to put self-righteousness. For some reason, I like this better. To just draw it out. I am better than. That's self-righteousness. But I like to say it to myself. Do you think you're better than? Because if you've got better than-ism in your life, you're drifting. That's a warning light that should cause you to, to check your heart and to back up and wait a minute. Or lust, or guilt, or greed, or anger, or jealousy. If any of these attitudes are appearing in your heart, you're probably already in a drifting pattern. And if you're in a drifting pattern, you need to get your heart checked. How on earth do you get your heart checked? You go to a trusted Christian friend, and you talk about that emotion that is in your heart, that, that warning light, that lust or guilt or greed or anger or jealousy or better thanism. You got to get help. Most people can't handle this stuff by themselves. Some would say nobody can. I don't know. You get with your trusted friend, and you just tell them what you're feeling. And friends, what, what I think happens usually is when, when you bring just the, just the light of another Christian brother or sister into your trouble, just, just, that's enough light to drive the darkness out and to help you to close that, to confess your sin and close that gap. So that the gap doesn't drive you to do stupid stuff like it drove David, King David. And then after you've talked with your trusted friend, Focus on just one, one another command. The one another's are all through the New Testament. They're just showing us how to love the way that Jesus has loved you. Pick just one. I, I listed three here. Accept one another. Accept one another is a pretty radical concept. If you're used to living the way I've been brought up, 
in, in my life as I grew up, I mean, there were somebodies and there were nobodies. That's the way I grew up. I'm from here in Dalton. There's somebodies and there's nobodies. But Jesus calls me to accept other people just as they are. That's hard for a guy like me. <laughs> Maybe it's easier for you. I hope it is. Except just focus on a one another command. And ask yourself for a whole week. Just do, just, just do it for a whole week. Don't read anything else in the Bible. Just read except one another just as I, Christ, have accepted you. Just do that every day. And ask yourself... In my relationships with people, what am I communicating? Am I communicating acceptance or am I communicating something else? In my life, I'm just telling you guys, for certain people, I've communicated something else and it hasn't been acceptance. <laughs> it's hard, it's complicated. But just reflect on how many times you have gone back and repeated the same sin again and again and again. And then, well, God has accepted me just as I am. Maybe I can get better at accepting others and communicating acceptance. Another one is confess your sins. It's one of the one another commands. It's, it's just clear biblical teaching. Confess your sins one to another. So we've talked about that, so we won't spend any more time on that. Now the next one, submit to one another. This, to me, this is, this is a wild ride. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Knowledge of the Scriptures is a wonderful thing. But more than knowledge, we need to follow Jesus and love people just as he has loved us. We need a daily focus on simple verses like submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Think about this one. What would our marriages look like if we really were in a mutual submission competition? What if we really were? What if we really said, you first? What do you want? Husband says to his wife, what do you want? You first. Everybody's quiet. Guys, this is this is New Testament. This is Bible. The verse really says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So my question for each of you, if you're a believer this morning, who are you submitting to? I'll address it to all the men in the group. Who are you submitting to? Who? You need to be able to answer that. I try to have, I try to submit to my wife. 
I, I try to prefer her. I try to honor her. I fail many times. I also try to submit myself to a few trusted friends and, make, and, and open the door of my heart and say, I give you free reign if you see anything in my life, come and approach me on it. I think that's a safeguard, personally, but that might just be me. Knowledge of the Scriptures is great, but it can puff people up. Just like a turkey, just before it gets shot. Any of you hunters, you know, you know how that works? Yeah. I checked with my son. He's a hunter, and he said, yeah, that's a good point. You can make that. <laughs> but think, about, think again about King David. He's at the top of his game. He's at the very top of his game. God's blessing. He's the anointed of God. Hypocrites know a lot about the Scriptures, but they seldom love the people around them very well. David knew the truth, but he failed to love as God loved him, and it led to a lot of pain for a lot of people. So focus on the simple stuff. I was going to say we use the, the KISS method, but maybe I shouldn't. Keep it simple, stupid. Whoever humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Follow Jesus and wash more feet. If you're following Jesus and you don't know what to do about your life, just wash more feet. Isn't that what Jesus did? Nothing complex about that or complicated. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 10. I, lately, I've just been camping out on this verse in my life. And I'm trying to somewhat live it out. What if we just honored everyone in our life? I'll tell you what I saw this, this week. We, Liz and I went down with our son, Philip, and his wife, Kendall. And they've got two kids. We're happy grandparents. And, and guys, I mean, I, I could have, have cried watching our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter run out to the trash truck, to the guy that, 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 that empties the trash, runs out and waves at him. And he beeps the horn. You know, two and a half years old. She's learning that from somebody. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, by the grace of God, my son just excels in, in honoring the people around him. For most of my life, I've always had this somebody's, nobody's. And, you know, of course, I went to a place with, you know, maybe more nobodies than most of us would care to go to. <laughs> so, yeah. but, 
But man, through my son, I'm learning. There ain't no nobodies in my life. Everybody is somebody for whom Christ died. And if I would just honor the people around me, so much of the other stuff would just fall by the wayside. So we've said, present your body as a living sacrifice every day. Pay attention if you see those warning attitudes in your heart. Watch over your heart. The last thing, I want you to help me with a little, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to take your hands, I want you to hold them out in front of you. If you're taking notes, just throw away the notes. And I don't throw them away, but, you know, put down your pen, pencil. Hold out your hand in front of you. Just, just hold it there. How does it feel? You can answer. How does it feel? Somebody said vulnerable. Keep them out. Huh? <laughs> Is it comfortable? Isn't it much better to just kind of put your hands on your leg or, or, or hold your hands like this? But like this? I guarantee you, you do it for a while, you're not going to like it anymore. It's uncomfortable. Okay, this is our third point. I suggest that you hold every, that you hold your spouse, each one of your children, and every friendship that you have with an open hand. Don't grab it. You see, when things start falling apart in our lives, we want to we wanna grab our loved ones, don't we? But you hold every relationship with an open hand. Job kind of had this down. If you think about the Old Testament guy, Job, you know, he, he lost everything he had, every possession he had. He lost every relationship he had. Well, he still had his wife, but maybe he was thinking at that point that maybe you should have taken her too, Lord. Because she wasn't very helpful in that instance. That's not a knock on wives. That's just a joke. Okay, please. But he had this thing down. When he said, the Lord gave, the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Are you willing to do that with every human relationship that you have? With your spouse, 
Are you willing to put your spouse to hold her or him with an open hand? Most of us, the way we really do life is with the closed fist. That's what we usually, that's our go-to position, especially if things get bad. We close our fist. And we think in terms of, no, this is my family. This is my friend. And we're talking about my comfort, my happiness, my kids, my grandkids, my reputation, my kids' education, my stuff. You've probably known people that even go so far as to say, my church. This is my church. Wow. Such confusion. Jesus is upside down kingdom. I hope it's up here. Uh, Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. There it is. And follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is upside down kingdom. If you want to be sure that you're going to lose every relationship that's important to you, just hang on real tight. Don't hang on with an open hand. Hang on real tight. Try to control them. Just try to control them. You'll lose every relationship that you've ever valued. Or you risk it. I risk it. Everything about following Jesus is counterintuitive. It's almost backwards of the way we usually think. You want to be great, serve. Doesn't make much sense. You want to live, you got to die. Jesus said all these things. You want to find your life, lose it, throw it away. You don't seek your kingdom, you seek his kingdom. You live for him. You do not live for yourself. Our children, folks, this is real personal. I know, and I'm probably going to get some feedback for this. Our children are given to us for a season. And God's plan is for us to form those kids model Christ and trust them to God and pray that God will send them into his harvest field wherever that may be but I dare say most people don't think like that they think I want my kids and my grandkids right here right next to me for the rest of my life. 
Is your life really all about you? All I'm saying, if Jesus is right in what he said, that kind of attitude may almost guarantee that what you think you have, it's ultimately going to be taken away. Jesus said things like this. You control, control, control. Will you hold your kids with an open hand? Will you pray? If God wants to take your daughter raised up in this church and send her to a place like Algeria for the cause of Christ, are you willing to pray that your daughter would become the hands and feet of Jesus in Algeria? You know, we, we, I just met, was visiting thing. I met a young lady. She went to Lee College, raised right here next to us. She's living in Algeria. It's a closed country. And I talked to this young lady's mother, and the young lady's mother is just thrilled about it. And I, I just, you know, it's one of those moments where I just, I ain't seen a lot of this around in these parts, as they say. I haven't seen that type of attitude. And it was beautiful. This mother had given her single daughter. And she's living in Algeria, which is not a cool place to live. for the sake, Because she wants to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Are you parents of Fellowship Bible Church, are you praying that way for your kids? Do you really want your kids to have a heart for the unreached peoples in the world? The people that live in a town, city, or village where they most likely will never have a chance to follow Jesus the way that you do. Another suggestion. This one's easier. Will you share the gospel with somebody in this next year? Will you, will you purpose to just share the gospel with somebody here in Dalton, even though it might be uncomfortable? Open hand. Here's another one, a little bit tougher. Will you love an enemy that you have right here in Dalton? Will you purpose to pray that God will bless your enemy? Will you pray for their prosperity, for God's blessing on their life, even if they don't like you? I know, guys, that's hard stuff. Will you love, will you purpose to develop a relationship with somebody who is nothing like you for the sake of getting the gospel, developing a relationship, and maybe just one day, maybe, 
But you see, it's hard because we like people that are like us. But Jesus was nothing like us when he lived here. Jesus hung out with sinners, and they were nothing like him, but they liked being with him. And he said to these people who were nothing like him, come follow me. Will we be Jesus' hands and feet here in Dalton and purposefully develop a relationship with somebody that's nothing like you? I know it's hard. I know it's uncomfortable. But I think that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. We cannot control outcomes anyway. Some of us have tried. And we figured out it just doesn't work. Why not hold every relationship in your life with an open hand. Thank you.